I love what you've done with the place, actually. It's nice. It's got this sort of bomb drop chic. Ray Flanford, say words. Make sure I can hear your audio. Words. Right. Whose turn is it to do the introduction? I think it's me. I think it's you too. Jeez. All right. I can be slower if you want. Hello, and welcome to 361 Podcast. No? Nah. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Ewan McLeod. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ben Smith. This is Season 17, Episode 6, and this week we're talking about eSIMs and roaming, the new Motorola Razr, and Apple TV+. Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. Very good. Yes, absolutely rocking. Hello. So, Rafe Blanford, how is your job and employment? It's very pleasant, thank you. Yeah, my job is also very pleasant. Uh, you, McLeod, um, how's your job and employment? Uh, my job was very pleasant and great. We are one-third unemployed on this podcast. That's right. Now I'm in gardening leave, technically. So, goodbye, Nordea. Love you. Long time. Had a great time. And that's... New opportunities-ish. How exciting. Mm. And also, ironic, with regard to you being on gardening leave, your sole contribution to gardening has been to kill a robot lawnmower. And yet, technically, that was probably the weather, but let's move on from that. But you left it outside. This That's is, you. Well, I think it did say something in the manual about that. Mm. But anyway, let's move on. The joke on this podcast has been that it has been dark slash snowy slash wet in Copenhagen since about 15 minutes after you arrived. So <laughs> you probably should have foreseen that it was going to kill the robot lawnmower. It's something that people do. It's like they change the tires here, winter tires and stuff. You're meant to take the one more in. I didn't do that. My mistake. I can't believe they let you have children. It's incredible. (laughs) But yes, very exciting news from you. Looking forward to hearing more news about that in the future. I'll tell you more soon. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But absolutely. So how exciting. Also, you you can spend a lot of time now researching the show as well with all the uh, spare time you've got. Exactly. Stand by. I shall be more informed than Blanford himself. Blimey. What a big promise. Is he speaking at all? I can't really say something, Rafe. Oh, we can't really. I can say something. Yeah, I can't really hear that. It's, it's like that retina screen. You, know, you just can't go back. I can't really. I know. And also, for the benefit of those who aren't watching, which is all of you, Rafe Blanford arrives to us this evening looking, uh, how can I say, weary. <laughs> it's tired, Rafe. We're going to have to G you up with the pure energy of the podcast. You need some iron brew. Oh, super. Before we get into the meat of the subject, let's just touch on Iron Brew, you and McLeod. Yes. You WhatsApped me a picture of Iron Brew earlier mm-hmm. in the day. That's correct. Which is the single most revolting substance known to man. No. So no. can you just explain to me, A, why, and B, how you obtain it in Copenhagen? Because it's a Scottish delicacy for those who are not in the know. It, well, it's, it's not a delicacy. The national drink of Scotland apart from whiskey, right? <laughs> Apart from whiskey, it's fairly <laughs> substantial apart from that. It's the number one if whiskey is number zero. Well, I don't know, right? It's a very popular Scottish drink. You can tell all fine establishments, you know, they, they do serve arm brew in Scotland. It's made by a company called Bar. I am a shareholder. I think I've got 17 or 18 shares now. A friend of mine, Tom, bought me a share once because I was quite a fan and there's been a few stock splits and I also bought quite a few. It's a soda drink. I've no idea how to describe the flavour, sorry. It's orangish. Luminous orange and revolting are the two uh, key descriptors. It's actually really, really nice. And you can get it in menu or many. 
at Rotunden, the Rotunden at uh, Hellerup here in Copenhagen or in Denmark. And every time I go in there, I, I feel as though I have to buy a few, just making sure they keep stocking it. In fact, you can get Armbrew at any Scottish shop. Rafe, do you sometimes ask a question and deeply regret it? Yes. Well, yes. look, okay, anyone, any Scots person will know what I'm talking about. And the majority of them will go, oh, I do like a little bit of Armbrew now and again. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Rafe thinks we should move on and I concur. Anyway, Rafe, we'll cheer you up, not with Iron Brew, but with the sheer vibrancy of our personalities. Mm. We'll move on, though, because as ever, we're going to try and keep uh, three lots of 10 minutes in the new show format. Thank you to everybody who's written in and said they like the new format. If you've got any uh, opinions slash asks slash comments about what we should cover, please do uh, write in. You can get us on Twitter or um, actually most of the people who've written to us have gone on the website 361podcast.com and sent an mm. email because it can actually be a little bit more... Uh, little bit more long form so i've got some Mm. brilliant suggestions coming up we'll talk about those more later in the show and also it wouldn't kill you people to do some podcast reviews is basically what i'm saying the last (laughs) podcast on itunes says (laughs) what was the date it's about eight months ago and it says about as regular as british trains so if you think if you're funnier than that which was fairly biting at the time please do go uh, and uh, leave a podcast review i'd even take negative ones at this stage it's just uh, (laughs) Just they entertain me they come through by email from the notification service, and it makes me laugh. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. Rafe Blanford, what are we talking about first up this evening? We're going to talk about, and I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this, that ubigri.com, which is a global data service, and that's ubigri.com, mm. which essentially allows you to, in just minutes, get an eSIM onto your compatible phone and then add a data tariff to it for various markets. Mm -hmm. Now, can I just stop you there? Because I think I regaled you, I think it was on the podcast, it might not have made the edit, but the story of me getting my eSIM for my uh, iPhone 11 Pro when I bought it. And I can tell you conclusively that here in the UK, the world's foremost mobile market with the most advanced cellular operators in the world, you definitely need to go to several stores and get a QR code printed on a piece of paper on the day you require it and not in advance. So... I don't understand any of this, um, being able to get it on an app or by email. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait a minute, wait. The world's most advanced. No, wait a minute. The Nordics, everything is connected. And with three here in Denmark, you can do the eSIM remotely. But anyway, carry on, please, Blanford, educators. It's a good question from Ben. I actually have used this live. I was in India recently, and I kind of wanted a way to get cheaper data because my network provider was going to charge me something like five or seven pounds per megabyte. And I saw some, I think, uh, a tweet on this, actually, maybe even retweeted by Ewan. Indeed. Thank you for that, Ewan. You're most welcome. And I signed up for this kind of service, and it said you could get an eSIM in a matter of minutes. I was a bit sceptical, but I went through the process, and lo and behold, in my email, a few minutes later, arrived a QR code. I did then have to open up a laptop and get that to be able to see the uh, QR code from my phone. You had to take a photograph of your own screen. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's a good point. You do actually need a third screen, or sorry, a second screen. <laughs> you do. And so basically you go into the settings of the, in my case, it was an iPhone, and add a data plan is what it comes down to. It was all very seamless. It was done probably from registering to getting the QR code within three or four minutes, and you have an account registered against it. And then I was able to go and buy data for that SIM for a number of markets and I was doing it in India and I think I paid something like £30 for unlimited data. Wow. And I was just really impressed with how easy it was. I then had to think a little bit about the settings to make sure and basically you can set one of the lines to be your primary data line right. 
so that you don't inadvertently switch back to using the UK when the signal drops and things like that. And that was the only bit that I had to think about and I think could potentially be a bit tricky for some people to work out. And obviously, I wanted to keep my primary SIM for kind of text messages and phone calls. But I was just really impressed with the way it worked. In India, it was working across about four different networks. So I had a 4G signal pretty much all the time I was in Mumbai. And it was great because I didn't think about how much it was costing. It just worked. And I was hopping on and off Wi-Fi as well in the office, in the hotel. You know, we've kind of got used to having European roaming. So actually, most of the time now, you just get the same tariff that you get at home. Mm -hmm. But there are a couple of places I've been recently the Faroe Islands uh, for one, and India, where I would have been charged an arm and a leg, kind of like the bad old days. And this just worked really simply. And I was a big fan of the fact also I was keeping my original SIM so I could still get text messages and phone calls and things like that. And it was just the kind of utter ease of use. And it's sort of a kind of use case for an eSIM that makes a lot of sense to me. And actually, even if you were not necessarily concerned about the roaming cost, or rather you're going to a country where actually it's not going to cost you very much, just being able to very easily get access to other network providers. Mm. A good example of this, sometimes when you go to Barcelona, for example, for MWC, some of the networks get congested and being able to easily access another one is a great idea. Or just if you're in a more rural area where you want to kind of get all the options for connectivity, I can see this working really easily. And the, the fact I was able to pay £30 and then not have to worry about data in India, having done it previously and sort of paid a fairly large mm. roaming bill and things like that. So thumbs up for me. I suspect it depends on the partnerships they've got with the various networks in both countries. But in terms of the coverage, they seem to be pretty good, you know, 100 plus countries. So it just worked really well. And it's sort of the first time I've used an eSIM and I really don't have any complaints. It beats the going to the vending machine in the airport kind of dash exactly. that we all used to do to go and buy a local SIM card. And I guess I hadn't thought about it, Rafe, but like we've increasing number of modern smartphones let you put eSIMs on your handset now. And I hadn't, of course, twigged that you can have multiple eSIMs on your phone at the same time. So obviously you can only use one, but you can have your home eSIM and your travel eSIM and so on and so forth. And you can just select between them. If you've got like a preferred provider for when you go to India, you know, you can just flip back and didn't know you could do that. Visit that sim. Yeah. yeah. So you can actually have three or four eSIMs with this one active yeah. foot. Oh, wow. Yeah, And you choose which one you want to have active in the settings. And then I kind of alluded to laptops there as well. You know, increasingly you're getting laptops that have a connection module mm. and have eSIM capability. If anything, that's almost more useful than your phone because that's where you sometimes do come across the funny charges. Or actually, if you're traveling overseas, you'll probably be more keen to kind of be able to use, say, your data you're likely to be out of the office or away from home or, you know, not tethering with your phone. So this kind of ability to not have to go to a shop and not have to do that dance is honestly it's fantastic it was you know quite liberating in a way so if you're traveling overseas particularly to a market where you're going to pay through the nose for your roaming then definitely worth a look i mean it is limited in the number of phones that can go on kind of the recent iphones from this year and last year you'll be okay there's a few android phones that now have that capability as well and quite a number of laptop and tablet devices as well but yeah big thumbs up from me awesome Really interesting. It goes some way to challenge that thing of mobile operators claiming that this overseas roaming of you know pounds and pounds a megabyte is a reasonable thing because you can now buy a service that gives you that access for a reasonable amount of money. And so 
that operator is able to provide exactly the same service that another UK network would have charged you hundreds of pounds for. Mm. So clearly, you know, whilst there's some differences in the technology underpinning how the data is handled, actually, as far as you're concerned, you can buy that service economically now. That's right. And also, you know, there's been other solutions for this kind of having global SIMs that did something similar or programmable SIMs. But I imagine that there's a bit more flexibility in this approach. And certainly the cost seemed cheaper than when I've, you know, experimented with global or programmable SIMs elsewhere. And yeah, I think also the performance was pretty good. Now, I'm not sure whether I was going through any third party or they just worked on optimizing it. Because sometimes when you're using kind of roaming overseas, it can be a bit slow. You get, mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to do stuff like streaming, so I didn't actually look into the geo restrictions and stuff like that. So I'm not saying it's perfect. I was just sort of impressed. Of, it was one of those things we've been talking about eSIMs and sort of this ability to kind of potentially have a programmable SIM or get something in another market when you're going there. And actually your operator could do a similar sort of deal if they so chose to do so. But it was just accessible to the consumer. I mean, it was a bit of fiddling around to get it set up and then work out what the settings were. But anyone who's got a little bit of technical know-how would have no problem doing this. And I think it's only a matter of time before someone else works out how to make it even more user-friendly. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned that you went to, is it ubigi.com? Yeah. We're not sponsored, obviously. So, you know, take that with a pinch of salt. Other providers are available. Yeah. Other providers are available. But did you then use an app or was this a wholly mobile web experience? It was all done on the mobile web. I signed up using the browser on my phone. I then actually did open my laptop and to get the QR code. Then I just went into the settings application on the iPhone, scanned the QR code, and that was it. Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong about this, as you often do, it is possible for apps, particularly in the iOS, Apple App Store, to actually deploy QR codes. I'm fairly sure early doors, true phone, the UK sort of, I think they're business focused now, aren't they? Sort of roaming specialist provider had a way to stick an eSIM on your device. And because they had an app and you did the purchase through the app, I think there was no messing around with QR codes. It could do it directly and that would ease the friction even further. Yeah, I definitely think there's a bit of room for improvement here because as I said, what I had to do through settings was a bit fiddly. And yes, I certainly recollect a kind of similar process. I think if not, it's only a matter of time before you kind of get full API access to that sort of thing. Mm. It was one of those things I was a bit sceptical about and I thought, well, I'll try it out. And I did actually have a backup solution in terms of a kind of global MiFi as well. But it just worked as soon as I went off flight mode, having been on the plane and was able to start using it straight away. Rafe Blanford living in the future. Mm-hmm. Just a little tip on the old multiple SIMs in an iPhone as well. The iOS 13 updates just added mobile data switching, I think, as well. Yes. So I've actually now got my main SIM with my main data contract on it, but it's set to switch to my backup SIM for data when I don't have coverage on my primary network. So great for home use, but obviously one of those things you'd want to turn off, as Rafe said, when you were roaming to avoid inadvertently racking up roaming charges. When I was working in Nordea, I used that a lot just because there's so many data apps that you want access to on the phone when you're on the phone. So it's quite useful having the backup SIM. I would use the mobile data switching all the time. Right. Excellent. So if you're interested in that service, check out the show notes, 361podcast.com, and there'll be a link in there with details of how you can get that SIM. And Rafe, did you take any pictures of this setup in action? I haven't seen any um, Rafergrams on Instagram Mm. recently. I do have some screenshots that I can share. Excellent. And there will be links to pictures so you can see what it looks like, and indeed possibly a picture of Rafe on the website as well. Okay, we should move on. Mm. You're McLeod. Yes. 
There's a new shiny in town, and we're all very excited. There is a new shiny. I was really excited when we heard about the Motorola Razr, the new 2019 version. Until that is, I saw a comment from Rafe. I think it was it was Rafe saying, mm, "I'm not that interested in, in medium range phones." So Rafe, that wasn't me. Really? No. Mm. Rafe likes Windows Phone. He's built a whole career on mid range phones. <sighs> Are you sure it wasn't you? Are you winding me up? I'm quite sure it wasn't because I'm quite interested in this one. All right, okay. Although I don't really get the whole retro thing because like the original Razer was before my time. What? Now that actually, that is what stung me. So for those, the uninitiated, the Razer was an iconic flip phone that was... Oh, I had four of them. Yeah. Wafer thin. Everybody wanted one because of the industrial design. I think it's fair to say, Rafe, that the insides were fairly underwhelming Mm. in terms of it wasn't a smartphone or anything like that. It had some very basic features, but it was really thin and a really attractive industrial design. And it's really stung me this week. People saying, gosh, you know, my parents had that when I was a child and I (laughs) lusted after it. I was like, I think I was in my 20s and bought it. I only had one. I paid £500 at a Vodafone store for the Razer. Did they see you coming? No. <laughs> Did you walk in like, ah? That's how much the thing cost at the time. And then I also had the Motorola StarTac. I had all the StarTacs. My God. And uh, so the Razer was a natural one. I, I really, really enjoyed the form factor of that. And it was amazing just opening up, you know, the, the flip. Because I, I liked the fact it covered your face, you know, when you're speaking. Ah, uh, this explains why there's a framed photo of you in behind the Vodafone store in Billericay. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> so, they did see me. I bought two, actually. Most favoured customer. One for me, one for Eddie, yeah. It was a business expense at the time. And I think Ewan was responsible for most of their share price. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, shall we talk about the 2019 Razer? Because it does feature a bendy screen. It does look rather cool. I wonder, you know, would this be your Android phone, gentlemen? No. Okay, right. Well, that was great. Let's move on to the... Okay. <laughs> Good chat. As they say here in the Nordics, could you say some more words on how you react to the Motorola Razr? Because I am really drawn to it. I think it looks rather stunning. So I think it's an incredibly impressive piece of industrial design. And I think bendy screens are really interesting. Mm. And I think actually Motorola have done a really good job of not just following the pattern because all the, I say all, like both the bendy screen phones that we've seen to date mm. are traditional sort of oblong rectangle sized phones, which you then fold out to make a mini tablet and the big wow has been oh look my smartphone unfolds to make a tablet that's great if slightly underwhelming in actual use so this is cool but i think this suffers from two problems one is the constraints of the industrial design so although the bendy screen is nice they've kept that original motorola razor form factor Mm, which is mm. very slim with a bit of a chin and that means that it's going to be hard to put you know class leading specs in there Mm. and so you know i think you've got to respect what they've done but it's got a very, very expensive screen attached to some otherwise only okay components. And the other thing for me is Android. And that's not dissing. So let, let's, let's just stop everything there because I don't think we can get into this now, can we? He's folding his arms, listeners. He's actually folding his arms. <laughs> I think uh, Android is absolutely... No, it doesn't matter what I think about Android because I think everybody who's affording a phone of that cost is probably in an ecosystem already. Okay, right. And if you're an Android user, then great, good on you. You'll buy it and perhaps be interested in it. But if you're spending top-end money or Mm. high-end money, Mm. you're probably already deep into it. And I'm doing precisely that, and I'm deep into iOS. So this is one of those things where I'm sort of, oh, that's interesting for the other people. That's not for me, you know. I do like the latest Android uh, camera phones. You know, the Pixel 4, for example, would probably be at the top of my list as opposed to 
This is sort of my point, which is it's very impressive what they've done. But for me, it's a bit of a one trick pony because all those things that might make you consider changing, like the high end cameras and those sorts of things, aren't really available on this form factor. They've had to sacrifice it all to get the flexible screen. The other thing, Rafe, that I'm curious about is reliability because the flexible screens are quite new and Mm. this is a device which is playing on people's sort of nostalgia. It's supposed to be, I think, a mass market device. I think the other ones have priced as very, very high-end expert pro devices. Are flexible screens ready for everyday use yet? Well, I think that entirely depends on the industrial engineering. We've kind of seen two examples from Samsung, one that appears to work and one that doesn't, and then them having you know tens of thousands of tests in terms of opening the fold or not, as the case may be. The Samsung device ships with a sticker on it that says, don't press too hard. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but <laughs> it literally has a warning about not pressing the screen too hard, which makes me think that unless Motorola have landed something, you know, absolutely a giant leap forwards, it'll suffer from similar problems. Well, I think the interesting thing is for Motorola, there's potentially less strain on this because there's actually less of the screen is doing the bending. Mm. I said when I first saw these kind of flexible screens, it made sense for me to put it in this flip phone form factor because, as you said, it's not just about making a kind of a mini tablet. It's actually really kind of reinvigorating that form factor. And we haven't seen a lot in the way of smartphones. And I mean, I completely agree with the point about the kind of the specs and particularly the mediocre camera because actually the processor I could live with. But if I was, you know, looking for my next Android phone, I probably would want something that had higher specs so that it could be an all-round device. At that price But I would say it's actually just like the original Razer in that there is a certain kind of fashion and style decision to buy this kind of phone. You know, Ewan bought it last time because it was cool. People are going to buy it this time because it's cool. And $1,500, and it's going to be probably similar in pounds, and I think it's exclusive to a couple of networks to begin with, which is always going to be a problem. And it arrives sort of January 2020, I think. But I can't help but think this is the good use of a foldable screen. It makes more sense to me than some of the others. I would kind of be keen to see the kind of communicator or the clamshell form factor. And kind of the Samsung Fold gets close to that. They clearly have thought about some of the kind of design elements. You know, there is the screen on the outside as well, which lets you deal with notifications and get the kind of the basics up and running. But the big thing for me that this actually is a thing that makes a smartphone a bit more pocketable. And so there are some kind of markets for which that is really going to appeal, mm. whether that's handbags, um, kind of women or, you know, skinny jeans mm. or whatever it you choose to be. So I kind of celebrate the fact that the flip phone is coming back a bit yeah. and you're getting a really big screen off it and getting rid of the T9 keypad makes perfect sense to me. The kind of 715 or whatever Snapdragon processor is is good enough. You are absolutely going to give up the camera, and that seems a shame. But I think this is the most interesting thing that Motorola have done recently. You know, a 6.2 inch screen with a 21 to 9 aspect ratio on this OLED panel. That's also interesting. That's a lot mm. of scrollable mm. content when you're looking at a web page or Facebook or things like that. Mm. And so, relative to some of the very big smartphones we've had recently in the trend to go to kind of mega displays, I think this is kind of a nice antidote to that. And so, I just think this has actually been better thought through as a product and something will have more of an appeal. It just makes sense. But also there is going to be that retro appeal. So it kind of mm. meets two of the big trends that have been happening in the last few years. You know, what HMD and Nokia have been doing with their phones, you know, recording that flexible screens, kind of big screens. So 
I'm going to be really interested to see how this does. Yeah, I mean, clearly at that price point, it's going to be kind of a high-end item and not going to be for everybody. But given that there's been so much focus on kind of high-end specs, high-end cameras and everything like that, we know from past experience there's absolutely room for a slightly different approach. Mm. And frankly, I love seeing that. Yeah, bring it. It is cool, isn't it, Ewan, that you can get that big screen phone in a sort of a fold factor, because I suppose we didn't emphasise enough at the outset. You've actually got you know, what would otherwise be quite a sizable phone folded down directly in half yeah. for people who sort of weren't familiar with the original clamshells and the whole inside piece is screen now. So yeah. you have got quite a pocketable device. I wonder how we'll react when you actually see it in a shop or when you see someone in a bar or whatever with one. It will look very interesting, I think. I'm looking forward to seeing how I respond to it because I couldn't give up a really good camera. I need to have a good camera. I really like the idea of it. I'm, I wonder if I'm going to buy version 5. I would love an iPhone that folded down square like a wallet or something like that, you know. Mm, yeah, it does appeal. I've always been an early adopter with most of this stuff, but I'm sort of at the point now where with these screens particularly, because I can't really tolerate these things breaking. Like I rely on my phone so much. Mm, Perhaps mm. we found an area where I'm not really willing to be an early adopter for a bit because the risk of it not working, and particularly that Samsung and the sticker, makes me laugh. You know, they're on their second go around. They had to withdraw all those original units and um, put sort of proper screen protectors on them and things like that. So uh, I think it was more a case of people were thinking the original screen was a screen protector and peeling it off. But Mm. flexible screens are still early on and people's expectations are sky high. Yes. Okay, well, we'll revisit the Motorola Razr. If you're going to buy one, let us know. Please. Uh, If you you currently own one or, you know, yeah, let us know. How is it? They're not out yet, but I presume some of our listenership who work in that space have had hands on. Exactly. If you'd like to break some embargoes, you know where we are. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Last up, we are going to talk about subscription telly mm. apple tv plus it mm. says here so i'm not a customer what oh what what sorry what happened to you smith why are you not a customer we are a netflix oh, family geez. come on yeah but you have an iphone 11s what xs pro max whatever oh yeah yeah i hate to break it to you ben you actually are a customer if you uh, log into apple tv yeah. plus which is essentially apple's version of kind of Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and, and, and choose your preferred streaming service. Because for all those who bought a Apple product recently, and that's the iPhone 11, and I think it's from about October onwards or the last mm. launch onwards, Apple are giving away a year of the Apple TV subscription. You just need to sign in with your account. Yeah. He, <laughs> is, is he looking up now? Are you looking up now? I'm looking to, yeah. Well, welcome yep. to Apple TV. And <laughs> Look, I mean, <laughs> what happened here? What? The answer really is I just don't watch that much TV at the moment. So this is one of those things, frankly, you could tell me I could watch every movie forever for free. And I would say, oh, that's interesting. And still leave it off because it's yeah. not so busy. But I'm intrigued because we haven't watched live TV in our house for a couple of years now. And that's not because we're some you know crazy mm-hmm. futuristic cord cutters. It's because we, we watch about one hour's telly a day, normally while we're eating some dinner, and it's never at a time when what we want to watch is on. So we've been watching iPlayer, be it on a telly Mm. or a laptop propped up in the corner or something like that. And so actually we're consuming less and less. And actually I tend to consume more short form content on YouTube or something if I'm on a train. Mm. Like, you know, I want to watch a a five minute video or a 10 minute video. But Rafe, clearly Netflix and streaming services have made a big enough impact in the world that Apple now thinks it needs to have its own one on board to make the iPhone ecosystem full and complete. 
Yeah, I mean, the big picture here is that Apple believes that it can make more money out of services. And frankly, that probably is the way to go after incremental revenue. And they've got Apple News Plus. They've had the Games Arcade as well. Obviously, been doing similar things with music as well. Apple TV has sort of obviously been around for a while. And previously, it was kind of aggregating other services. Mm. But TV Plus means you pay a subscription to get access to Apple's original content. And at the moment, they've got, I think, five or six series. Clearly, they're going to add more to over time. They made a lot of headlines about kind of spending, you know, mm. billions have been talked about Dosh. on the original content. Mm. I think the kind of TV reviewers, it's been kind of fairly mixed reaction. I think one of the criticisms have been that Apple just kind of went to Hollywood and bought some more programs. There wasn't anything intrinsically Apple about it. I don't really want to comment on that, but I do think they've done a nice job making it as seamless as possible. And what's interesting, as with the Apple TV hardware, they've tried to make it possible for you to have kind of aggregated versions in that you can get it for Amazon or Netflix, all in the kind of the same interface and user experience. Amazon have tried to do the same thing. And actually, if you're using Amazon Fire TV stick, you can get to Apple TV Plus as well. That's an interesting reaction to Netflix, who obviously would far rather you stay entirely in their ecosystem, but even they have started to do partnerships with the like of Sky, which is a satellite broadcaster here in the UK. You can now get Netflix as part of your Sky bundle and kind of built into the electronic program guide and everything else there. Because one of the challenges now is that there are lots of these streaming services. So which one do you go for? And you know, Disney Plus has just launched in the US. It's coming mm-hmm. to Europe next year. And suddenly you could end up paying for multiple ones of these services. So I struggle to see how Apple is going to stand out from the crowd, but equally well, I can understand why they don't want to leave revenue on the table. So I I guess two questions from me. One is, you've kind of alluded to it, it's Netflix is your choice. Would you consider multiple subscriptions in order to aggregate content together? And not for Ben, but I know you and you've watched a couple of the TV series that Apple TV has has come out with. Anything that caught your attention? You can't trust his taste. He's a philistine. Thank you. Thanks very much for that. That's very kind of you. It wouldn't know good art if it walked up and introduced itself. But it's fine. I'm sure there's some filler signs listening to this podcast. <laughs> it's only three listeners anyway. Just very, very quickly, Rafe, on the would I switch? Maybe. But actually, I'm finding that with Apple's services, I love Apple's hardware and I love their ecosystem, but I'm not really a massive fan of their services. I had a, an Apple Music subscription, a Spotify subscription, and they both work. Like mm. they both play the music. Like there's nothing wrong with either of them. But in terms of just like you get to a point where a service has a personality, you get past all the tech and it's just the way it feels and what it's like to interact with, you know, what it suggests to you. And I just get on better with Spotify. Mm. It just seems to be more me, more often the playlists it suggests and the music and that kind of stuff. And I don't want to prejudge it because I've not tried Apple TV yet, but actually, again, sort of, I went to Netflix for specific shows and I, you know, kind of, I know there's things there that I like. So I don't think I need to pay for two. And actually, for now, there's nothing extra good about using Apple services on Apple devices. Yeah, I worry about that because my worry is that they'll start to do lock-in and start to try and exclude Netflix and people like that in order to create an artificial benefit for their services. Yeah. So Ewan, what did you make of the content? What's particularly interesting, in the place that I worked, I used to work, I heard people talking about these shows. But mostly in Danish, so you didn't understand. No, 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 they were talking about the morning show in particular, C, that's the one where everybody's blind. Then the, uh, oh, geez, what's the space one? For All Mankind. For All Mankind. Yeah, so I haven't seen that. 
The only one I told seen, you he was useless as an arts reviewer. Right. Space one. The only one I've seen is I think we were up to date on the morning show. That's the one with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon that achieved breakthrough into normal conversation in the office, and it had Hetty going, "Ooh, ooh, Hetty being my wife." Oh, we've got the morning show. Right, let's watch that. So that that's the one thing that we are watching together at the moment. And actually, it's quite atmospheric. I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. So then we've caught up and then we, we went over to Netflix and we started The Crown because we're behind The Crown. But we've got, hold on a minute, so we've got Now TV. We pay for that. We use iPlayer. I still pay for that. We have Netflix. We have Prime. We kind of have that anyway. And what I'm really struggling now with is trying to find which service has got. You know, I was trying to watch True Lies the other day. Remember the movie True Lies? Oh, come on, Arnold Schwarzenegger on a jet. Some listeners will remember True Lies. Please help me out here. And it's, it's was not, it for a bet? No, I just, I just thought, you know what? It's been ages since I... Yeah, anyway, I have to go into each service to try and find... You know, has, you know, do I buy it? Do I have to rent it? Do I have to... You know, can you stream it on Now TV, which is Sky, but not really? Or is it on Netflix? No, it's not on Netflix today. Only because Disney have taken it off it. It's getting quite frustrating, this whole process. It's very noticeable, actually, that we have a Samsung Smart TV and on mm. there built-in apps for iPlayer, which is the BBC's one, for Prime, for Netflix. By the sound of it, compared to you, we're not particularly advanced streaming users because we just use you know, one that's free, one that came with the service, with Amazon Prime anyway, and then one we pay for. But actually, every time we're looking for a show, and particularly for the little boy, you know, a particular children's show he watches, we're into one, oh, no, that's not that one. Go to the next icon, oh, uh, no, that's not that one. Uh, I think, Rafe, there are definitely years some argument for a sort of an aggregation piece because at this stage I'm not finding that the, my experience of using the apps or the interfaces is meaningfully different. So I, it wouldn't be that I'd favour one over the other for ease of use or ease of discovery. But it also does baffle me that they all seem to be so bad at that because although you know, none of these tech firms have their own content that they can uniquely make, you know, Apple, as you said, Apple just goes to Hollywood and buys some more Hollywood content. But what they all have is crazy massive experience in making these incredible interfaces and surfacing content to us and social connections and this kind of stuff. I'm bemused as to how poor they are in that experience. Well, I think that goes back to kind of some of the things you spoke about, about bundling services. And it's not just Apple, you know, Google, Samsung, all the big tech firms are trying to do this. And it's very noticeable to me that the kind of standalone apps, if you will, whether that's Spotify or Netflix or CityMap or whichever one you choose. Now, with some very notable exceptions, often the kind of standalone, the one that's focused on that produces the best experience. And I would agree, that's why I kind of haven't used the Apple or the Google version of these streaming services. I think the interesting thing, though, is if you talk about bundling, it kind of feels a bit like going back to the bad days of operators where they wanted to kind of force services and bundling onto you And actually, that coming from the hardware manufacturer, whether that's Apple or someone else, also feels a bit disingenuous. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like it is the content that probably matters. And speaking for myself, yeah, I aggregate across several. I have Amazon mainly because I just have it for the prime delivery. I have Netflix, but actually using it on a Fire TV stick, they do do a pretty good job of kind of bundling those together. The search works well. And actually, Sky Q, I would have said kind of linear and broadcast was dead but actually sky has done a great job of bundling everything together making it really easy to use a search functionality so those points are being addressed apple's trying to do the same thing with apple tv 
But I'm going to finish by saying I quite liked For All Mankind, which was basically oh. based on alternative history if the Soviet Union got to the moon before the Americans and what reaction that would have caused about what Nixon did, then having women astronauts years ahead of would have been the case, the race for the base, and I suspect it's going to go on to be the race for Mars and things like that. Cool. And as a space nerd, it's just one that has mm. appealed to me. The rest of the content seemed fairly forgettable to me. But as Ewan said, it does seem to have a bit of breakthrough. People are talking about it. And I think mm. giving it away with iPhones, which are you know, selling tens of millions for the first year, is a good way to kickstart your subscription yeah. in a way that the only other people who have been able to really do it is Disney because they've got such a great backlog of uh, content. Where if you look at the other streaming services, whether that's CPS, who have used Star Trek or whatever else, they've had difficulty breaking through against the kind mm. of incumbents of Netflix and Hulu. But interesting one to watch, and maybe we can uh, report back later once we've had a chance to watch a bit more of the content. Based on the iPhone screen I've got in front of me now, we're also going to be in 12 months' time and covering a lot of people complaining that in the UK they're being billed 4 99 for a service they'd forgotten they're subscribed to. Absolutely. Because, of course, this is one of these bait-and-switch models mm-hmm. where you get your free 12 months, but they're going to start billing you immediately afterwards. And that was a complaint that Amazon had early on with a lot of their Prime subscriptions. So I that would be interesting. However well-intentioned this is, the, the giveaway, I mean, no doubt Apple don't tend to stealth bill people. It's not really their scene. I think there's a bit of a risk that that's going to happen. And this, of course, you just replace your iPhone every year and you get 12 more months every <laughs> Can time. we please, I want to know what our listeners are doing, right? Are you like Ben? And you know, if you've got a new iPhone and you've forgotten about this, you know, or are you sitting there with your arms crossed saying, no, not interested. I'm quite happy with my whatever. It'd be really interesting to hear what everyone else is doing. I particularly am interested in what would get people to try these services because if I think about what I enjoy watching, more and more of my time is taken up with watching sort of amateur producers on YouTube. And I realize YouTube is a horrible platform nine-tenths of the time, but there are some brilliant people on there making really great shows. So UK YouTuber, chap called Tom Scott, he does four-minute sort of science educational videos. They're absolutely fascinating. They're really consumable. They're just four minutes. He's absolutely brilliant. He's got millions of subscribers and, you know, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's serious, but you get to see stuff that even if you just go, oh, that's cool. Like I've never seen that before. He's gone all over the place. He was flying with a wingsuit recently and he went to the place where they built a building this week with an elevator shaft in it before they invented elevators because the guy who owned the building thought that they would invent something to be an elevator in the future. And, you know, but the thing there is- Oh, that's cool. It is cool, but he's making four minute long content and I'd be fascinated to say, well, why aren't the big platforms mm. who are now trying to sell content innovating with different formats? Because it looks to me on the basis of this, certainly all the services I'm using, if you want to watch a 25-minute you know, US format show, then you're well served. Well, I've been putting the children down at night. I've been uh, to sleep, to clarify, to sleep. Yeah, 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 to sleep, sorry, to sleep, to sleep. I've had the AirPods in, or one of the AirPods in, and I've been listening to the mashups of Silicon Valley, you know, the TV series. And it's someone has gone and mashed up particular characters and seasons and so on. There are about 10 minutes. I'm totally with you. I remember thinking, why, why are these providers not doing this? Right. And it's, it's quite frustrating that you have to go hunting for this stuff. But really interesting that you're using YouTube in that way, because I'm still using, you know, I've subscribed to main what would you, proper, proper companies, old companies. We need an episode on cool stuff like that, because I'm going to go and find that now and watch it. That's awesome. So if you've got any suggestions of things we should subscribe to on YouTube Mm. or great content producers who are breaking the mould and should be listed on these services, then give us a shout. Also interested on your take, as Ewan said, 
on Apple and other various other streaming services. What do you pay for? How many do you pay for? I reckon mm. one is my limit, but we don't consume much content. Let us know, 361podcast.com. Also coming up in future episodes, thank you very much to everyone who's written in. We'll be doing a smart home update. We've had a, several people write in asking about where our smart homes are and what we're doing. Mm. And particularly, mm-hmm. I am um, at the moment wrestling with um, having a bit more of a complex setup, but stuff that relies on the cloud and feeling like I really want to have a system that's a bit more independent and works at home so there's not a delay when the internet's down yeah, or the cloud yeah. service is down. And um, following on my epic Ubiquity network that we talked about the other week, we've had a question in about how are people controlling internet access for their kids. It's something we've talked about in the past yeah. with regard to VPN services, but there's a bunch of actual hardware you can buy for your home now. So we'll be uh, having a bit of a think about that. And if there's any topics you're interested in, in that vein, please uh, get in touch, 361podcast.com and let us know or at 361podcast on Twitter. Gentlemen, a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. And we will be back in a fortnight. Bye-bye. Did I tell you I took the pee out of a pirate? Yeah, go on. He was furious. Uh, wait, no, wait, 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 wait. wait. I took the pee out of a pirate. <laughs> he was furious. Um, Irate. Oh, jeez. I'll need to get one then. I'm done. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. I need to get some food. Okay, well, Rafe Blanford's had enough. <laughs> no, no, it's one of the highlights of my week. I mean, to be honest, it's about the only highlight at the moment. <laughs> See you in a fortnight then, champs. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs>